commitment to you from Rockingham IPO Radio. You're listening to the Yarn Homespun Arts and Music with Jade, and we've got our special guest today, Rick Rudd, WA based artist in the studio. Hi, Rick. Hello, Jade. Thanks for having me today. No problem at all. It's good to have you in here. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous. I'm a bit nervous, but. Uh, Don't be. <laughs> I'm sure afterwards I'll be like, that was so easy. That was fine. <laughs> We're just going to talk. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can do that underwater, so <laughs> the trick is shutting up. That's the hard part. What have you been up to lately, Rick? What I've been up to lately? I have. We have a cameraman in the studio, for those listening in who can't see. We've got our studio. I, I've got my... Uh, my man, Jack Grappoli, uh, with me, and uh, he and I were making a documentary about my my career and how it sort of, look, COVID stopped everybody's career, of course, but I suppose mm-hmm. he, he he finds my, my struggles quite amusing, and this is all part, me being here, that's all part of finally getting back out there and getting the career back on the train that it was originally on. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how many other artists are like that as well, you know? I mean, it's been three years, or almost three years, and everything was happening for me as an artist. You know, I've I've got a gallery that represents me in London, Emmanuel von Baer, and that is something I've always wanted. Always wanted to be represented by a gallery so that I can not don't have to do admin stuff my whole life. You know, <laughs> I can just stay in the studio forever. That's fantastic. So I generally make the work. I send it to him, and he shows it to his clients overseas. And the opportunity came for me to finally leave Perth for a while. Yay! Which I'd only ever done once. I'd only ever been to Melbourne for a week, I think, and that was fantastic. So, but again, because I'm a hermit. I'm not too used to leaving the studio. Uh, it's a cave, man. And why leave the cave? i got everything in there, right? Uh, so they said to me, Rick, we want to put your show, we want to put your work in a big show in Europe mm-hmm. called the European Fine Art Fair 2020, and it's in the Netherlands. So send us the largest painting you've ever painted and... I tried, and I certainly did. It took me a long time to figure out how to actually send it there, so I rolled it up, and it cost me an arm and a leg to send it there, this (laughs) huge painting. And it's fantastic, you know, because it was so hard to find a buyer for that painting. I Mm -hmm. mean, I paint pretty dark stuff, Mm. pretty dark, weird stuff, and it's not... It's not for grandma, you know? I would say dramatic. Dramatic, you bet. You uh, Drama, you wear your heart on your sleeve, right? That's the kind of art that I love. And if it's dark or if it's light, so be it, as long as it's dramatic, as long as you drive the point home. So this dramatic art that I find very difficult to sell, <laughs> and Manuel says, don't worry, Rick, I'll take care of it. And we planned, my, my partner Sophie and I, she's an artist as well, she's represented in Brisbane, this was going to be my first time out of Perth, first time, oh well, first time out of the country. So, of course, I, I have no you idea ma- what's ahead made of it. me, you right? finally made it. So I'm planning, oh, here's where we can go. We can go to Brussels after that and then we can go, or maybe I'll stay and go further, like further up to London or maybe I'll go into Poland or something and see all the art there. I mean, the world was my oyster, right? Because I didn't have a job at the time. I could just live over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, odd jobs here and there, you know, not big commitments. 
it's quite good for an artist, I think. You know, if you if an opportunity strikes, you can leave. Mm. So, and then you hear about this thing, coronavirus. What is this thing, coronavirus, coming out of China, or is it coming out of China? Of course. So, I see on the news that it's the day of my flight, right? And the news is saying that Italy has been swarmed, mm. completely swarmed with this mm. virus. I remember. And everybody is talking about it going, this is going to be the next big thing. But then, of course, there's everybody else saying it's all overblown. So who do you believe, right? Nobody was wearing masks or anything yet. Uh, there was there was a shortage for hand sanitizer. I remember we were making our own hand sanitizer and everything. And we get on the plane and we're wearing masks. Not because anybody said to, but because I was paranoid, right? So the okay. paranoia was setting in. Okay. And we get on the plane, eat with the masks on and everything. You know, you just worry. You don't know what it can do, what it can't do. Plane lands. And I run to the, uh, the little phone station. I get myself a SIM card, call the gallery as soon as we get to the hotel. And they were two-hour train drive, train ride away down at the bottom of the Netherlands in Maastricht. Mm-hmm. It's an old city, goes back to the ancient Roman days. And they say, you know, welcome to Europe, Rick, but stay exactly where you are. Don't don't come down here because it's all closed up. We're oh so no. sorry. You won't get to see it. Don't bring your germ from the Asia-Pacific region. Just keep yourself safe. Keep everybody else in your life safe. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you want to do and... I'll tell you if it's a good idea. So I told him, here's what I want to do. He said, okay, here's what you should do, so-and-so. And then you realise that it's not going to happen, right? You're not going to see... You, I, I hadn't even met them. Yeah. I'd only ever spoken to them on the phone. So How devastating. This, yeah, this conversation, and then I turn around and Sophie's bawling, right? Sophie's crying. I wasn't crying yet. I think I was still in shock and maybe still a bit telling myself, it'll be okay. It'll mm. be all right. Give it a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. It'll die down and, you know, we'll, we'll get to back. So here's what happens. I call my mum, do a video chat with my mum, and she asked me, what are we going to do? And, of course, all of our plans had to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, every hotel that we had planned to stay in, every person that we had planned to meet and so on, that was all gone Mm -hmm. so we go into central amsterdam and we've got a week until our flight because we just were checking flights every day right so we get to the the place that we were permanently going to stay for our time there and it was near the Rijksmuseum. i don't know how the hell we got this place that was near the Rijksmuseum, near the big museum in amsterdam and we're there and i said okay it's time to go see if we can get in now, I want to emphasize that I had never actually been to another country, right? I had never seen the heroes that, that I loved, like Rembrandt and Van Gogh and everybody else, Titian, all yeah. of these places, uh, the, these wonderful artists that are in their national collection. Yeah. And we're walking, walking, walking in the streets. They're eerily quiet already, right? And we get to that big, beautiful building, and there were buskers. Only buskers, that's all there was. Two buskers playing violin and they were playing Bach's Air. Right? You know that song? And that song just destroys me. It's and just we so got 
poetic. Yeah, it was. It was like a movie, the whole thing. Mm. And I'm just crossing my fingers the whole time, thinking maybe I can get in. Maybe I, if I just slip somebody some, you know, if you, a, a bit of this and a bit of that, I can get in. And no one was at the door, and I saw through the through the giant glass doors, maybe sight size as big as my phone, right? Some mm -hmm. of the most beautiful, well, no, the most beautiful sculptures that I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I'm never going to get to see them. You know, that was the feeling because it was so difficult to really know what was ahead of you. In hindsight, you can go, yeah, it was a thing that we dealt with and blah, 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 but it was like, no, we're preparing for a war. That was how it started to feel. Mm. But and I think, yeah. you know, coronavirus aside, when, when it, from the sounds of it, being so passionate about something and then literally getting 50 or 100 metres away from, from, you know, your inspirations and, and, as you say, art that you'd wanted to see forever right yeah uh so yeah i started bawling my eyes out of course i saw these the laquan it was a, a cast of course but this sculpture goes back to before jesus was killed right this ha that's how old art can go and still look so beautiful mm. and i just wept at the door and sophie held me and then we went to the van gogh museum could get into the Van Gogh Museum, could get into the gift shop. So I got to see Van Gogh pencil cases, <laughs> got to see Van Gogh erasers and stamps and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, tote bags and everything. But then I, I realised, no, th this is not going to happen. And so what the hell did we do? And we tried to do the most that we could while we were there, but it was just too late. We got there just a week too late or... A day even too late. Yeah. Um, and then we went to the cafe and <sighs> I just watched these people have a total blast with those bloody I Amsterdam promotional Instagram bait things that was on the street. And I thought, why can't I be happy like these people, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Did it really put my perspective, you know, it really put my, my world into perspective because here I was feeling all glum that I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Mm. Well, life's hardly ever like that, though, isn't it? Mm. And yet there's these people outside who are doing the best they could with what was there. They're doing cartwheels in front of the stupid sign, trying to take photos. Maybe they were influencers or something. I don't know. But it was real dark. And very funnily, I suppose the only exhibitions I got to see were like these antique stores. And the antique stores that they have in Amsterdam are next level. I mm. couldn't believe it. I bought a painting that's one of the most amazing paintings that I've ever seen. I would love to be able to paint that well. And this guy was almost throwing it away because of what was happening. Like, I've got to close down my business and so on. And I went inside to buy this painting. And who's the artist, I ask? Because this, this is too well made, right? It's not a hobbyist type of thing. This is a professional artist. Who's the artist? You want to know because you hand over all this money. And a man comes out from the basement, you know, you know tuxedo, cigar, and a <laughs> laptop. And he says, here you go. Here's the artist. And he shows me, and I, th I believe his name was Koos van Keen or Koos van Keen or something like that. A, a, a Dutch man or a Norwegian man or German or something. Not much information is left on him. So I have this, maybe one of his last paintings left over, and in our, in our hotel room, I would have that 
on the nightstand, you know. Silver like lining. That's, yeah, that's th- that's my <laughs> exhibition, you know. That's the closest thing that I can... And it was just so unreal, man. I mean, the whole time we were there, we were thinking, we've got to make art about this. Mm. The You can't let it get you down, right? And when I came back, I decided, no, there wasn't going to be anything COVID-related in my art. I would show... I would show a cataclysmic event or a world approaching a cataclysmic event, but I'm not going to show the cataclysm because we're not there yet, right? Although the world feels post-apocalyptic when you leave and there's no one on the street, there's no one in the shops, there's no one at work, if you leave the house at all, Mm. it's not over yet. And I think making paintings about that probably helped me get through it. I mean... surely somebody's got to do a documentary on this or something like not just about how I got through it but how how people dealt with it if they're not creative and how people dealt with it if they are creative it was a it was a major world event and I remember at the time I was living up in a small community in the Kimberley near the Bungle Bungles and you know we're most of the communities went into lockdown because we yeah. we weren't sure what this virus was about and what was going to happen, and we certainly felt very free. You know, we're we're out in the bush. We can go swimming, fishing, yeah. uh, but aware that outside mm. in the world there's this huge event happening. And you know what? Being in Perth, because of course we, for a while, we had no COVIDs. We had no cases, Mm. right? We were kind of safe. Mm. So the cognitive dissonance of turning on the TV or tuning into some radio station or whatever and seeing the whole world turn upside down and then you stick your head out the window and it's just crickets and birds and you're like, what the hell is going on? Sun shining. It was so strange. I mean, uh, it's one of the most unique perspectives because you weren't like I I can't say that I was really in the middle of the fights in the shopping centers over the toilet paper you know uh in in some ways I kind of got to dodge all of that you know I've got a bit of imposter syndrome if I say oh you know COVID ruined my life or whatever because here I am I'm still here and when we were there I decided look we're going to get stuck here if we don't leave and my grandfather was dying at the time, so I knew I it was either I leave now or I risk it and I don't get to see him at all. Yeah. So we came home and uh, we were in the quarantine for two weeks. That passed like that. For me, at least, you know, if, if you're creative, you can deal with that stuff. Yeah, you enjoy the solitude. Uh, yeah, it mm. was really, really uh, just like I'm back in the studio. And then you leave and it's like, oh my God, 28 days later. I mean, I went for a bike ride down to the deli and it was like um, everyone had been killed. That's how it felt. It was strange. But then I also saw those teddies that people put in their windows. And I'm like, what's with all the teddies? Like, I didn't know this stuff, right? And they're like, oh, people, uh, you know, it's for the kids, you know, oh. or something like that, where kids go for a walk and then they... Because you've got to make it amusing for them. I think there's a whole generation of people whose lives have been completely traumatised. so cool. I didn't know about the teddies. Yeah, nor did I. And I'm sure that some people played with it. Like, they put, I don't know, Halloween teddies and stuff out. And uh, But it was... And I remember chalk, like road chalk was a big thing. People were trying to just amuse their kids however they could. 
couldn't send them to school and maybe you had to go to work or couldn't do this or couldn't do that. I mean, I, ca- I got off so lucky and the people around me, my God, I mean, just it's everybody has a COVID story. Mm. That's the thing now. It can pull us all together. We're going to be making movies about what was your COVID story like? I mean, if it ever ends, who knows? I don't know. Maybe it'll come back even worse. Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't be too maudlin, should I, on the radio? Well, well, no, no. It's your story, and and you know what? We're we're gonna we're gonna play a song or two, and we're gonna cut back to um, find out a bit more about your t- artistic practice since COVID, and sure, you know, how what you've done with that story. Okay, let's do it. All right, we're gonna play uh, Jackknife by Sash Seaborn, who's gonna be a li- live interview in our studio on the fourteenth of May. And then we'll come back and chat some more with Rick Rudd. Coming to you from Rockingham, IPL Radio. You're listening to The Yarn, homespun arts and music on IPL Radio with Jade and special guest artist Rick Rudd in the studio. Hey, hey. And uh, we were talking before uh, about the, the disappointment of uh, almost reaching your the pinnacle of your career. Mm. Uh and then COVID comes along and destroys it in one fell swoop. Yeah, it's a bit like hitting the ground running into a brick wall. <laughs> you know? um, but hey, it's not the end. So how have you moved beyond the disappointment of that and into your current arts well, practice? I suppose it, it feeds into the art anyway. No, I mean, uh, a lot of the work that I make is about pain and transformation, right? So... In order to reach where you need to go, you have to go through hell. So that's Dante, right? Dante's Inferno. You first have to go through hell to get to purgatory. And then you have to account for the things that you're not doing so well in your life. And then once you've accounted for that, you're on to where you want to be and you're at love. So my work is all about trying to get through hell. (laughs) And the world I show is a very dark and irrational world. It's where people behave more like animals and where the trees have a mind of their own. The light posts turn back into trees and the ground starts to slither like it's paint. Mm. So I pull the... It's all about emphasising the drama. Uh, You said that I'm a dramatist. I think, yes, I think that's absolutely right. Even when the work isn't overly dark, it's still dramatic. I mean, the paintings that Sandy and Sandy invited me onto the show, the paintings of mine that she saw were very colourful. They might be the most colourful paintings that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I made those during the lockdowns. So what does that say about my mentality? But then I also go and make something that's really colourful but is the darkest work I've ever done conceptually. Mm -hmm. And that's this kind of Simpsons series that I started. Um, I thought The Simpsons was a fantastic language. It's a bit like Lego. Really, it's so big that you can do so much with it. And when we came back, of course, I was living at home and I was trying to make these paintings and a lot of them were dark. But what happened was they got darker and darker and darker and the colours got brighter and brighter and brighter. And the psychology there, I don't quite know what's going on there. Maybe I was too afraid to face the darkness. To really go there. Yeah, to really go there. I don't know... Uh, it's a very strange thing, but normally I, sh- I make uh, 
let's say if I'm painting figures and characters, they'll be going through a, a painful transformation. They'll turn into something else. If he's going through puberty, I'll make it so that he grows a dick and balls on his ankle, right? Because that would make his life so much harder. It's all about, I suppose, the metaphysics of it. So how hard can you make puberty? So instead of, of course, just growing a growing a, your moustache out and, you know, you're growing hair, hair everywhere that it wasn't before, you'll start to grow giant phalluses and scrotums all over your body and uh, that's your way of it's like a curse puberty does feel like a curse in some ways you know i mean all these just telling you to uh, your hormones are telling you to do stuff that you never thought you could do that you never thought you would need to do whatever so this irrationality this bestial inner inner humanity that comes out in my art mm-hmm. and i think i'm at a point now where I've gotten enough of the bestial stuff out. I've gotten enough of the nightmarish dream stuff out. Now it's time to focus on love. Does that sound corny? No, it doesn't sound corny. Well, I think that maybe love and death are the two strongest themes that a a story would have, you know? I mean, in some ways, if you die, you're still in love. Well, interestingly, I'm doing my final teaching prac at the moment, teaching year twos. And every year two knows how to spell the word love. Yeah. Where did they learn it though? Exactly. They just, they just, it, they, it's so ever present. Yeah. They see it. They, you know, it, they write it a Mother's Day card. They all know how to spell love, mm. Mm. Um, struggle with some of the more simpler words, but love, it's just yeah. everywhere. That's so good to hear. <laughs> I'm glad that that's one of the first words they understand <laughs> instead of, I don't know. So I don't think it's, it's corny. I, I think it's just something that is a part of life. Mm, I think maybe like I puberty. rejected it for a, for too long. You know, when you grow up, you get all angsty and uh, you think, love, I don't need that. And then you hit 30 and you go, oh, <laughs> yeah, I need it. <laughs> so to work with love means that I don't get to show the world in a dark and morbid and grotesque way. And that's very difficult because that's what I'm used to doing. So mm. uh, it means having to learn a whole new set of skills. And that's what I'm in the process of doing now. I'm using a lot of plasticine and going back to the drawing board, learning anatomy, drawing from life. I think that my girlfriend, uh, she looks like a Greco-Roman sculpture. She has that face, mm-hmm. that Mediterranean beautiful face. And so, of course, I think I'd be an idiot to not copy from life. So she's sitting for me and I'm learning how to paint her and and draw her. And my dream is to kind of create a, I mean, in a perfect world, I would have my own property that I could just turn into a museum and it would be like a shrine to her, right? She's my, uh, I'm Bacchus, she's Ariadne, right? I like these myths. I compare my life to these myths. And in her, I see Ariadne, and in myself, I see Bacchus. Bacchus is the one of the gods of good times, right? Well, you can't always have good times. And Ariadne is a very loyal character who she's betrayed by the man she loves. And she sees her love leaving her on the shore and in the distance. My favorite painting, Titian, depicted this. And she's weeping on the shore but she sees Bacchus and he's doing one of his 
one of his bakianar, one of his festive occasions with the piping and the drums coming through the forest towards the beach and Bacchus sees her and immediately he falls in love with her and he crowns her in the sky and makes her a constellation. So I think that's probably one of the things I, I want to do for the woman I'm in love with, make her a constellation or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about, of course, because you know my grandfather did die, I got to make peace, which was it's so lucky. You know, In between lockdowns, I Absolutely. got to see him. And then I see now something which I completely had no idea about, these funerary portraits of ancient Egypt. Funerary portraits. Now, when we think of Egypt, we think, of course, of sphinxes and hieroglyphs and pyramids. But this is late Egypt I'm talking about, before it collapsed completely, where the pyramids were starting to become a kind of question for the citizens. Like, what are those doing there again? So let's say that you're a citizen in in, uh, Roman Egypt from maybe AD 100 to, let's say, maybe... 500 AD and your wife is dying what do you do you can't save her let's say it's COVID COVID's happening in in Egypt what do you do she's got COVID she's going to die so you commission an artist to make a funerary portrait out of beeswax or egg tempera or both that's what they used to use in those days they didn't use oil or acrylic they used egg and wax And these portraits look like they could have been painted by a Renaissance master. I'm telling you, some of these paintings are the next thing for me. I could learn how to paint from just looking at these things, I think. And something happens very interestingly. The process that they have in this era that we know about, because we can only try to piece together bits. Mm -hmm. You have this beautiful portrait of your wife and she looks better in the portrait over time because she's dying and you have the portrait in the house and eventually your wife dies and you keep the portrait and the family keeps the portrait while she's being mummified because this is Egypt and everybody still gets mummified, right? So you have this portrait and the family behaves as if the portrait is in some ways her. Yeah. And I thought the grieving process there would be so fantastic and that Eventually what happens is the family is notified that the body is mummified, ready to be buried in the Egyptian basins, right, in the tombs. So you make your piece by putting the portrait on the casket and the family goes there every week or every day or whatever it might be just to remember her. And it's like she's there because it's the healthy portrait of her there. Yeah. And before photography. <laughs> yes, exactly, before photography, when one image had to tell a million stories, right? Because now, of course, we've got everything. Mm. You don't need a... It's almost like you don't need a painter anymore. Mm. So these paintings, these things, they get locked away for a thousand years when they're exhumed. And, of course, you know, people broke down the mummies and people were making paint out of mummies. You have this paint called Mummy Brown. It's like one of the most delightful browns to use and it's of crushed up mummies but what do you do with the what do you do with all the art that they left behind well of course you try to sell it you give it to galleries perhaps there's forgeries of it that we don't know we can't identify exactly which ones are forgeries and something very interesting happens it's like death has died i know that that sounds pretentious to say that death has died but 
these paintings they've they're worn out they're they're they're, they're aged mm. and there's a kind of veil now between you and the person on the other side mm. where is that person now it's like that person is now more completely in the world of the dead and yet they still behave because they're flattered, right? They're all flattered and they're animated in these beautiful portraits with their bling and, you know, <laughs> their eye makeup and everything that they wear. And I go, that's the world of the dead. That's so beautiful. And I go, that's where I want to go. So I think maybe the world of the dead, the eternal realm, because they can't be hurt anymore, those, those characters. Mm. You know, they're sort of gods now. They're like Ariadne, crowned in the in the cosmos very interesting and i go you know it gets me thinking i did a stupid very stupid thing we found ourselves in the rent crisis and i found myself with too many paintings where am i going to store them how am i going to store them if we're losing all of our money on rent so i destroyed these paintings and i had already exhibited them with the gallery and i told him this and he said don't ever do that again, Rick. <laughs> That's such a... Don't yeah, ever do don't, that again. It's don't unprofessional. Don't ever do that again, Rick. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need constant reminders. Um, self-sabotage, I think probably a lot of artists go through. They always go, that's not good enough. I could fix that. And before you know it, they've tweaked the whole painting and it looks like a different thing. So I did this thing and I destroyed, I think, probably 35 out of 40 paintings that I had that my gallery was trying to sell, right? And then I go and do this stupid, stupid thing. But I let my emotions and my circumstances get in the way. Mm. And you should never do that. The whole point of being an artist is that you're in charge. Who's in charge? Is it the paint using you or are you using the paint? Who's the master, right? Or are you, are you the tool? So that was very regrettable. And the portraits that were left over, very interesting because they don't have that world of the dead vibe. So I'm constantly thinking, I kind of want to wear them out, you know, put them out in the rain. Like one of my heroes, Edvard Munch, the man who painted The Scream, he used to do that. He used to take his paintings out in the snow, let them get worn out for months at a time, and then go back at it, you know. And the paintings would have this wear and tear to them, and mm. it really emphasises the drama, the physicality. If I think of that painting, The Scream, you don't have to like that painting. Not everybody likes that painting. But the way he's made it, it's on cardboard. It's not on canvas. It's done in like oil pastels straight onto cardboard. That wrecks the cardboard. He knew what he was doing. He was trying to make a kind of ruin, like a world in tatters. So strange. And I think he was so ahead of the game. But we'll talk about him in a moment, I guess. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to play you uh, another song. <laughs> sure. And, um, and then we'll come back, Rick, and just find out what, uh, how people can view your work and what you do have coming up. Um, I'm going to play a song, um, a fa- one of my favourites, Black Smoke by Emily Waramara. Coming to you from Rockingham, IPL Radio. You're listening to the Yarn Homespun Arts and Music on IPL Radio. This is Jade and we are talking to Rick Rudd, a WA-based artist. Rick, for our listeners, where can they where can they view your artwork? I suppose I should have said that first when I got here, hey? Um, now that you've got everyone curious. Now, <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, you'll best find me on social media. You can just Google me. 
R-Y-C-K-R-U-D-D. But keep in mind that it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, maybe don't show grandma. <laughs> you know, check it first. Uh, I've been, you know, censored a few times for showing a bit too dark stuff. But th- what we're doing right now, Jack and I, I'm working with Jack Gropoli uh, on a documentary about everything that's happened to me since COVID, which w- I've been talking around here. He's in the studio, of course. And you will see updates on that on my feed and on his feed. So social media, if you just Google me, you'll find my my Facebook, my Instagram. You'll find Emmanuel's website too. You'll find um, the London-based gallery. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just can't wait until I get back there, you know, or get there for the first time. I mean, he represents artists who are my heroes. So I, j- uh, I could spend a whole year just studying from his collection. So... I mean, th- the sky's the limit. I'm, I'm my own worst enemy, though, because I'm a hermit. You know, I, c- I can never manage to get the hell out of the studio. So, me being here... Well, you got here I did. I, get he- I got here, and I'm going to post this on my, on my webpage and everything and, you know, try to get back out into the world. I think maybe a lot of people have it where they're so used to the lockdowns that it's like, yeah, that's how life is now, just locked up. Um, but, again even harder for a hermit because that's your natural state you know but yeah that's where you'll find me you'll find me online um post a lot of videos i've been working with plasticine a lot to build up the modeling then i can paint from the plasticine so i can paint from life plans all set out man it's just a matter of making it happen awesome yeah yeah well i really encourage you to have a look at rick's work it's um uh Despite the but despite the trigger warning, um, there's a lot. It's there. really it's really interesting and uh, and also Jack. Yes. Thank you to Jack as well for being in the studio. Uh, we were having a great yarn about uh, his his interest in um, recording Rick's story and and making a doco about it. So next um, time we'll both be here. We'll both be here talking. I reckon because <laughs> there's just so many stories to tell. I'm looking There's not enough time. There's not enough time. <laughs> no, there isn't, and I would love to talk more, but we have run out of time. We, we could have talked all afternoon. Um, I want to play some more songs. Curiously, uh, who are your musical influences? What do you like to listen to, Rick? I'm wondering if we might have some of your some of your faves oh in God. our crate. I actually brought a list. Think with me. local. <laughs> Think local. I brought a Think list with WA. me. Oh, uh, think. Oh, oh, well, as local as I could get, perhaps I suppose would be um, Cold Chisel. Mm. I, I mean, that's Classic. as local as I can think, right? Um, Sandy asked me. She goes, "What song should I play for you?" And I said, uh, "Flame Trees" by Cold Chisel. That song reminds me of my childhood. It brings so much nostalgia. It was like this little town where everybody knows each other. Everything's much more simple, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm nostalgic for those days, but I also know that I have to go out there and have my adventure. So And flame trees are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Well, as a thank you for coming into the studio today, we are going to play Flame Trees. Oh, thank you. By Cold Chisel. And if you want to check out Rick's uh, Rick Rudd's work, um, R-Y-C-K-R-U-D-D. He's on all the socials. All right. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so much, uh, Jade. And thank you, Sandy, for inviting me. Thanks, IPL Radio. I'll see you guys next time. And thanks, Jack, the silent doco maker.